0: is it number one good morning can you guys hear me yet is that is that it all right cool i didn't want to say anything important before y'all could hear me right so oh my goodness man um i'm just i'm running on high octane right now i'll tell, tell you what dude i'm pumped i i am uh i'm just stoked to be up here right now man and it's a uh, I tell you, if, if you don't know me, let, let's do that. How about that? Um, my name's Cale, like that big thing says. Um, my wife, my beautiful wife is Brooke. She's sitting down here. Um, we'll be married in March for three years. Don't ask me the day right now. I'm not thinking about that. I'm thinking about the Bible. Um, but we have been married for almost three years, and, uh, and, and we have the privilege of serving with our middle school students um, in our middle school student ministry called Extreme. They're sitting right down here. Hey, guys. Moving on up moving on up <laughs> but oh yeah we have the privilege of serving with you guys as middle school students and we just we love it um they excuse any of my dumb things that i say and i promise i am not going to say anything dumb today i promise jeff that um <laughs> so that i could do this but man i'm excited and i you know what by way of introduction i just like to do this um i'm i'm 24 years old and i've been going to this church for 24 years I've been coming here since I was a baby in the nursery over there, and I've, I know that some of you changed my diapers because you remind me. Um, so if you're one of those, thank you for doing that dirty deed. Um, I appreciate it. And, uh, but really, because my parents, uh, they're sitting in the back. They brought me here since I was born. So I thank them, but I, I just want to thank this church body. Um, this church cares about children's ministry. This church cares about youth ministry. And uh, the only reason that I'm standing right here today, and the only reason I'm at my at the place in my walk with Christ today is because of this church and because of this church who cares about children's ministry and who cares about youth ministry enough to realize that, you know what? Someday these little snotty-nosed kids running around are gonna be the next pastors of this church, are gonna be the next missionaries, the next deacons. And I just wanna say thank you, seriously, from the bottom of my heart. Thank you. If you've been coming here for any length of time or you've just started working in children's or youth ministry, can I just encourage you, keep doing it. Oh my goodness, there is not a more important thing that we could invest in in our church right here today than the lives of our young ones, the lives of our children, our students, and our young adults. Thank you so much from the bottom of my heart um, for raising me up in the way that I should go. I, I, I wouldn't be standing here today without you guys. And man, can I just say to those of you who are serving in children's or youth ministry, man, if you don't realize, I hope you do now, Uh, if you don't realize that the kid that you're dealing with and the five-year-olds could potentially be the head pastor of First Baptist Church, you're just missing out on the greater plan that God has, right? So, I mean, man, just let, I I hope, I don't know, I guess we'll see by the end of this, I hope that I can be an encouragement (laughs) that we've had this kid since he was born and since he was in diapers, and now, man, look at him go, look what he's doing, he's walking, talking on his own. Um, I guess you'll be able to judge that by the end of the service, we'll see, so we won't make any presuppositions here. But um, yeah, so that's, there you go, that's my introduction. But um, the text that I'd like us to look at today um, is a text that I'm, (laughs) I'm 100% none of you have ever seen, I'm saying that with sarcasm. We're gonna look at Matthew 14. We're gonna look at the story of Peter walking on the water and there's a reason and we'll get to that. But if you'll open with me to Matthew chapter 14, we're gonna look at a selection of verses where that story is told. And there is, there, there is a reason why we're gonna go there. But before we do that, as you guys are all getting there, let's get to Matthew 14 and let's just read the passage and then we'll start dissecting it, all right? So Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. We're going to read a few verses. Just follow along with me, okay? And it says, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, and to go before him unto the other side, while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But, again, straightway, Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. will not you pray with me? God, I love you, and I just want to thank you ahead of time. Thank you for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, that you just outline every single thing of faith and practice that we should ever need in this book that we hold in our hands. I pray that we would never take that for granted, Lord. And today, as we dive into the words of your book, Lord, I pray that we would treat them as they are. The pure, perfect, infallible words of God that have been established in heaven since before the beginning of the world. Lord, I pray that we would see them with a new light. Give us open eyes, give us open hearts and ears to receive the word that you have for each of us individually this morning. And it's in your name I pray, amen. All right, there are two major events in Matthew chapter 14 in this section of verses that really divide out what happens in this passage, okay? There's two things that we're gonna look at that just divide it into a nice, tidy little outline, and we'll get to those in a minute. But before we get to those, we need to set a background, right? I, I wanna I wanna just like draw the setting for you so you can see where this story is, not only in the context of the Bible, but in the context of history and the day that these disciples are having. All right, so let's do that. Check out the first three verses again. Go back to verse twenty-two. It says, In straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone because he told him to go, right? Verse 24, but the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. What I'd like to talk to you guys today, you can see at the top of your study sheet is storms. We have a really big storm that happens here in Matthew chapter 14, one that um, probably most of you are familiar with. And what I want to talk to you today about is storms that happen in our lives, Right? I want to equate the story that Jesus gives, that God gives in this chapter, with the storms that we have in this life. But before we can do that, we need to define what a storm is, right? That's fair. So what's, not, not a metaphorical trial in life storm, but what is a storm? A natural weather storm, typically that's defined simply as a violent disturbance in the atmosphere. That's fair, I mean, right? Because there's so many different types of storms. Typically, just on a general scale, a storm is, a, is, a, is a just an atmospheric disturbance, right? And it makes sense because, I mean, what do you typically associate with a storm? Mass amounts of precipitation, right? Whether it's rain or snow, wind, thunder, lightning. We associate, um, if it's severe enough, really fleeing to shelter to get out of the elements, the conditions outside, Sometimes limited visibility as we're driving. You can't see because there's so much falling in the way, so much wind gusts, things being blown around. You can't really see clearly. And then as it gets more severe, there'll be delayed flights, right? Ever have a trip or a flight delayed or canceled because of a storm? It just got so severe that all plans of transportation just halt right there. Basically, the worse the storm gets, the better the chances are that you aren't going anywhere, Right? That's, that's a storm, and you guys know that. But I want you to see, as we're getting ready to see where the disciples are, they're exactly where I just described. They're in a boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, surrounded by huge waves and wind gusts, because the wind was blowing contrary. And they're in the middle of this giant atmospheric disturbance. Verse 24 says, The ship was tossed with wave. Tossed, sorry, with waves for the wind was contrary. That just means that the wind was blowing in the opposite direction that they were heading, right? So it's keeping them from moving forward. They're wanting to go this way, but the wind is blowing this way. And that causes a problem with a ship with sails, right? Because you need the wind to help you out. And it's blowing the exact opposite way. And we find in the parallel passage, in Mark chapter six, we're gonna go there, that they actually abandoned the sails altogether because it was just... Not even helping. It was actually hurting them. Check out Mark 6, verse 47. It says this, And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he, Jesus, alone on the land. And Jesus saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. So what we see here is that the wind was so bad, the storm was so overwhelming, they abandon the sails altogether, and they pull out the oars, man just to keep going. And it says they're toiling. That just means that they're exerting a ton of of energy. It's just with great difficulty, extremely hard, and very slowly trying to move forward with the oars. And they're not getting anywhere because the wind was contrary. So plug that back into the story. Jesus, we see in in verse 22, the first one we looked at, Jesus tells the disciples, hey, go that way. And so they obey. They get in the boat. They have direct orders from God and they start heading this way. This is gonna be my medical way that Jesus says to go, all right? This way. And they start heading that way, but the wind is blowing that way. They can't go anywhere. They're just toiling. So they abandon the sails. They try rowing just to keep from, I'm sure, capsizing and just to try and keep from not moving backwards from where they're trying to go, right? That's what's happening in the story. Isn't that the case in life? (laughs) Think about it. Now think about what a storm is in life. Have you went through a storm ever? This is the last Sunday of 2014. Think back about this year. Have you went through a crazy storm this year? Maybe not. Maybe this was a great year. Have you went through a storm recently in the last couple years? I'm sure we all have. Life isn't perfect, right? Isn't this the case? Isn't this what happens? It seems like one minute God has told you what to do and where to go, and you're heading that way, gung-ho, gung-ho, And then boom, a storm just smacks you in the face almost out of nowhere, right? And what it does, this storm in life, I I try to define it as really just like an event or a circumstance which just stops all forward momentum. It causes our forward movement to cease and the swirling winds of the storm cause us to be stationary because we can no longer move forward. That's a storm in life. Have you ever felt like that? Do you, maybe you currently feel like that. Maybe, maybe you're going through something that's just puts you right on your derriere. And you're just sitting and you're like, I don't know what to do. Every time I stand up, I get blown backwards. I'm toiling and rowing and I can't move. Well, if you feel like that or if you've ever felt like this, I hope that this morning is for you because that's exactly what the disciples are going through and we can learn so much from how they react to this storm. There's another key setting before we move into the points. There's another key point to the setting that we need to understand to really set the context of storms and how and when they happen, all right? So if you're in Matthew 14, jump back a few verses to verse 14. I wanna look at what immediately happens directly before the story that we're working with, okay? Let's take a look. Look in Matthew 14, verse 14. And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. And when it was evening, his disciples came to him, saying, "This is a desert place, and the time is now past, send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals." But Jesus said unto them, "They need not depart. Give ye them to eat." And they say unto him, "We have here but five loaves and two fishes." And he said, "Well, bring them hither to me." And he commanded the multitude to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed. And break and gave the loaves to his disciples, and the disciples to the multitude. And they did all eat, and were filled. Man, just a miracle. And they took up the fragments that remained, twelve baskets full, and they that had eaten were about five thousand men beside women and children. Verse twenty two, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship, and to go before him unto the other side. Do you see what just happened there? Not not every time can you take the, the the gospel of Matthew and say this is a chronological event because it's not always written that way, you know. Different stories and parables don't always happen immediately after one of another. But what we see here is that straightway, immediately, Jesus tells his disciples after the feeding of the five thousand, "Go get in a ship and go over to the other side. I'll meet you there." This is really significant because the feeding of the 5,000 is arguably one of the greatest miracles that Jesus does in the Bible. And it is the only miracle that Jesus does while he's on earth, other than the resurrection, that is mentioned in all four gospels. I'd say that's probably a big deal, right? It's the only one, other than the resurrection, and that's kind of a big deal, that is mentioned in all four gospels. Isn't that crazy? So, what we see is the disciples, after witnessing one of the arguably one of the greatest miracles in the bible running headfirst into a giant storm when jesus told him to go there what what's going on man there's got to be something up i think jesus has got a plan here right now let's pull it back here does that sound familiar to you Think about it. Think about this. Have you ever come off of of just an amazing spiritual victory, some amazing spiritual mountaintop that you were just amped after? And you're just like, oh my goodness, God is just so cool. I just saw him work and he just like, I mean, he didn't feed 5,000, but I didn't have any grocery money and like groceries just showed up on my front door. Or maybe you just got saved recently and and the scales fell from your eyes and you're just like, oh my goodness, I see Christ for the first time. And then immediately it seems like you just get smacked and knocked backwards from a giant storm. That's what happened here. Get this. Storms often happen immediately after great spiritual victories. You have to get that. It'll put in context storms for you. It'll put in context the rest of this story. Storms often occur immediately after great spiritual victories. And we'll talk about why a little bit okay but let's let's keep reading in our story grab verse 24 little bit of review the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary verse 25 and in the fourth watch of the night jesus went unto them walking on the sea and when the disciples saw him walking on the sea they were troubled saying it's a spirit and they cried out for fear but straightway jesus spake unto them saying be of good cheer it is i be not afraid the first major event that we need to see that separates this story is that Jesus went. Jesus went. It's the first big thing that's going to separate this story into manageable segments, all right? Jesus went. And before we get too far into this, don't miss the significance of these two simple words Jesus went. Why is that so significant? What does that mean? Jesus saw the distress. And the anguish of his disciples, and he went to them. That should be the most edifying thing you've ever heard. Christian, when you're in distress and you're toiling and rowing in this thing that we call life because the waves are so high that you think you can barely keep your head above water, Jesus is coming to you first. You know what Jesus understands? He understands that when we're overcome by an overwhelming storm, our first immediate human reaction isn't, grab the Bible and read, well, Jesus is here, and Jesus is all-powerful. That's not our first reaction. I don't know about you, but my first reaction in a storm is, ah! Ah! I don't know about you. Maybe you're more spiritual than I am, but that's my first reaction when a storm hits, right? And the good thing about it is Jesus knows that. He knows we're scared and he comes walking to them. Jesus comes to you when you feel as though the waves are so high and the wind is so strong that you're just toiling and rowing. Remember this Jesus is there and he's coming to you. Jesus went. Oh my gosh, I love this. Jesus, if you notice in the verse, look back at that verse, man. Verse 25, Jesus goes walking on the very waters that are trying to drown the disciples. Christian, Jesus is so powerful that he comes walking to you, trampling under feet the very troubles that are trying to drown you. That should be so comforting that the troubles that look so outlandishly huge, that look like they're just about ready to drown us, Jesus is big enough that he steps on them. God is a big God, and he is powerful. And he's in the storm with you. It reminds me, right, of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're in a literal fiery furnace for their faith, for believing, and doing what God says. And in the midst of the fire, who's there? The Son of God. And even Nebuchadnezzar, a pagan lost king, recognizes, dude, the Son of God is in that fire. Christian, when you're going through a storm and when you're going through the fiery trials of this life, Jesus is there and he's coming to you. Let's take a look at the disciples' reaction to Jesus coming to them. Look at verse 26 again. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled. It's a spirit, and they cried out for fear. Notice this is is the disciples' reaction to Jesus, not to the storm. Not to the storm. This is their reaction to Jesus. They have three reactions. They saw him walking on the sea, and number one, they were troubled. They were troubled. Number two, they said, it's a spirit. They obviously didn't recognize him. And number three, they cried out for fear. Three things. They were troubled. They said, it is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. So what happened I mean, think about think where we just came from. These are the same men who just saw Jesus do an amazing miracle towards uh, the beginning to middle of Jesus' earthly ministry, and this should have been the, the rock that they look on and be like, we know that he's the Son of God because we saw that miracle, and it's the same day, and then all of a sudden, they get rocked by the storm, and they don't even recognize Christ. What happened? Christian... Could I ask you the same thing? Could I ask me the same thing? What happens? We come off of these great spiritual victories and we see God work in ways that only God can work. And then all of a sudden a storm hits and we don't even remember what his face looks like. Why, why does that happen? How is it that we can come off these great spiritual mountaintops and completely forget what he looks like going through a storm the very same day? And is it, is it even possible that sometimes we completely associate Christ with the scary stuff that's surrounding us? I mean, number two, it said that they thought he was a spirit. They thought he was a ghost. They didn't recognize him. There's your first bad move. Secondly, they thought he was a ghost. They just thought that he was part of the scary scenery that was surrounding them. Well, par for the course, there's waves trying to drown us, our sails don't work, and there's a ghost. Perfect. That's what they think, right? That's what they're thinking. But man... How often do we go through some crazy stuff and Jesus is in there and he's walking towards us and we don't recognize him because we think he's just part of the scary stuff around us? (sighs) Happens to me more often than not, right? Here's the bottom line. The disciples saw Jesus but they didn't recognize him. It's not like they didn't see him. They saw him and they didn't recognize him. But catch verse 27. We're gonna look at Jesus' response to the disciples. The disciples react And Jesus responds, verse 27, but straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I, be not afraid. I can't tell you how much this verse meant to me, a couple years ago when I was going through the largest storm of my life. I'm not going to go through the story. I've, many of you have heard it. I've told it up here before. Um, but basically the gist of it. A couple years ago I was diagnosed with a disease called Crohn's disease. There's actually a couple of us in here that, that have it that I've met and talked about with. But you don't need to know anything about it other than this. It rocked my world because it's an incurable disease that the doctors have no idea where it came from. They have no idea how you get it. And there's, there was nothing ever more frightening to me in my life than to get a diagnosis from the doctor that says, you have a disease, there's no cure, we have no idea how you got it. Have you ever been in a situation like that? Like, I'm, I'm not looking for sympathy, I'm just saying, that's my experience, what's yours? Think back to that, you know, where all of a sudden you're just frightened beyond all belief, and then I read in Matthew 14, 27, be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And it just gave me so much peace. A peace of God that passeth all understanding came about me like in in Philippians chapter four. And you can have that too. Notice Jesus responds to each irrational reaction that the disciples have. They have three reactions. And Jesus responds to each one specifically. Number one, they were troubled, right? They were troubled. And Jesus says, be of good cheer. Don't Don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Don't worry John chapter 16 and verse 33, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says this These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but there it is be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There is nothing more peaceful than knowing that Jesus Christ has overcome the world and I have him living in me. How do we get so frightened by these storms? I'm in the same boat. I'm not preaching at you. I'm kind of like sitting in the pews too. You know what I mean? It's like, how do I do that? When I have here that Jesus says, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world and everything in it, man. It reminds me of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter four when it says, we have not an a high priest that cannot be touched by the feelings of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points just like we are, but without sin guys, we don't have a high priest who sits up in heaven and just judges us. He came down and he was tempted like we are. He went through all the garbage and he never sinned and he overcame the world and he holds the keys to sin to death and hell today and that's the guy who's living inside of you if you have a relationship with him. That should bring you peace. Number two, the disciples cry out, it's a spirit. Notice Jesus' response, man. It is I, He says, don't you remember me? It is I, remember me? I'm the same God who just five seconds ago turned five pieces of bread and a couple fish into so many that between five and 10,000 people got to eat and were full and then there were 12 baskets left over. Remember me? It's me. That's what Jesus is saying to them and he's saying that to you today. If you're going through a storm and you forgot how great Jesus is saying, he's saying, do you remember me? I'm the same God who pulled you out of the miry clay and I set you up on a solid rock and I dusted you off and I said, you're my son now. Remember that guy? The same God who hung the stars in space, who created the world in six, the universe rather, in six physical days, parted the Red Sea. I mean, he did all these miracles. It's the same God. How do we forget him so easy when we just see a little bit of water coming at us, right? Right? Number three, they were fearful. They were scared, man. And Jesus says, be not afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't worry. Have faith. In Deuteronomy, we, we, we get to see in the whole book the re-giving of God's law. And in chapter 20, verse one, it says this. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and you see horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid. Why? For the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. What God does is he says, listen, you're gonna go into some trials that are gonna be hard, and the enemies are gonna look like giants, and they're gonna look like they outnumber you, but remember this, I'm with you, and I already did some things in your life that you can remember. He brought them out of Egypt. So what Jesus is saying to us today is, listen, when you're caught in the storm, and you don't know what to do, and you're scared, don't be afraid, because Jesus is with you, And think about all the stuff he's already done, man. He's saved your soul from eternal separation from him. What more could you ask? He's got your back. In Joshua chapter one, Moses has just shortly passed away and God's handing the reins of Israel from Moses over to Joshua. And he's kind of commending him here. He's he's talking to him. And in verse nine, he says this. God says, have not I commanded thee, Joshua? Be strong, be strong. And of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Do I need to do another one? God is with us, man, in the storm. And it's okay to be scared. Jesus understood their reactions. That's why he went to them and he responded in every single way that they needed. God responds to you today in the exact way that you need. He addresses every reaction. And if you're going through a storm, go back. Go back to this passage. If you're not going one through, through one today, you will, you will soon. It just happens like that. And when you're going through it, go back to this passage and read Jesus' words to those going through storms. He says, be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. The second thing that happens in this passage, Jesus goes, so Jesus went. Now we're gonna look at Peter. Peter went. Jesus went, and now Peter went. Let's read uh, the next couple verses there. Verse 28. So um, Jesus, he talks to him, he responds. He says, listen, be of good cheer. It's me, remember me, don't be afraid. Peter responds, and he says this. Verse 28. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. The first thing that we need to notice here, guys, is that Peter initially doubted. He did, I know that commonly when we hear this this passage preached, we talk about, and it's not wrong, but commonly what we hear is the great outstanding faith of Peter who walked on the water. That's great, But you have to understand, he first doubted Christ. Check it out. He says, Lord, if it be thou, do this. Whoa, what? Sounds a little bit like Peter is saying, man, I don't trust you. Can you prove that it's you? Now you have to understand, Peter is Jewish, and they were into signs says in 1 Corinthians one twenty two that the Jews require a sign. Check out the Old Testament. God's always providing signs to let them know that he's there. But he just heard the audible voice of God saying, it's me, and he didn't believe him. And he says, if it's truly you, let me come to you on the water because that's a miracle. And if I'm walking on the water, I know it's you. I know it's you. Before we go harping on Peter too much, Let's check our own eyes for beams and moats, right? Before we start saying, you know, what what the heck, Pete? Why are you doubting so much, man? He's right there. Have you ever found yourself doing this? I know I have. We might not say it quite like Peter did, but we, we, we make this fill in the blank statement like, Lord, if it's you, fill in the blank, right? Lord, if you're really there, fill in the blank. What's your fill in the blank? Think about it. When you went through a storm last time, or if you're in a storm, what was your reaction to Jesus responding to your disbelief? What did you say? Did you say something like, Lord, if it's really you, why did he or she leave? Right? That's what we do. We don't say, let me come walk to you on the water. We don't say, God, I'm gonna put this fleece out here like in the Old Testament, and if there's dew on the fleece and not dew on the grass, I know it's you. We don't do that, but what we do is we say, Lord, if it's you, Why'd you have to let them pass? Why did they die? If you're really there, Lord, cure them. God, if it's really you, just give me a sign. Why are you letting me go through this? We question God, just like Job did at the end of Job. Remember how God answers Job? He says, listen, little guy, (laughs) where were you when I created the universe? You have no right to ask me to prove myself. We We don't have a right to ask God to prove ourselves, but you know what? Just like Jesus understands our irrational reactions to the storm, he understands our irrational reactions to him too, he does. God doesn't have to prove anything to anyone, but you know what else? Christ lets him come to him. He says, come, right? That's a little confusing because God doesn't have to say, yeah, I'll show you this miracle and then you can believe, but he does, he says, come. God doesn't have to prove to Peter or to us anything, but what does Christ want us to do in a storm? He wants us to do what he asked Peter to do. He wants us to come to him. Jesus went to you first. Now you have to finish the deal. You have to go to him. Jesus comes to you walking in the storm, but you have to have faith. And yes, Peter kind of shrouded that in disbelief, but he still had some faith. He worked over his disbelief because Jesus asks him to come, and then he does. He doesn't have to prove his power, but he desires us to run to him in our storms. After all, he did come to us first, right? Matthew chapter 11 in verse 28, Christ says this, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Listen, the first thing that happens in a storm is Christ goes to you. And you know, typically we're discombobulated by the storm and our navigation stuff isn't working and we don't know how to react. So we're just, we got our hands in the air, the sails came down and we got the oars out. So Jesus comes to us, he draws near to you, but then he desires you to jump out of that safety boat and come into the waters to come to him. Think about it. Where was the only safe place for Peter in this storm? The boat. The boat. Christ asked him, and maybe maybe Peter shouldn't have asked this, but Christ says, come to me. He asks him to jump out of the very safety place into the waters that are scaring him. And Christian, he does the same thing with us. He will ask you to come to him even though it's scary. Even though the only safe place is in the boat, he will say, will you step out in faith? And will you trust me? Remember me? I've done all this stuff before. And even though Peter initially doubts Christ, he does take that jump of faith to jump from the safety of the boat into the roaring seas. And that's exactly what our response should be to God as well in these storms. Look back at verse 29. We're gonna keep going. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, there's always a but with Peter, right? And with us, there's always. We do something good, but Verse 30, when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. Let's take a look at Peter's reaction to the storm. So Peter goes, and this is his reaction to the storm. So let's backtrack a little bit. Initially, Peter doubts, right? He doubts Christ. He wants him to prove himself. But then he works up just enough faith to say, okay, I'm going to jump in and come to you. But then he's overwhelmed again by the storm. Like, so he, he doubts, he gets some faith, and then he's overwhelmed again, and then he doubts again. Why? Because he saw the wind. He jumps out of the boat, and he sees the circumstances surrounding him, and he gets frightened again, and he loses faith. Peter jumps out of the ship, takes one look around at the storm surrounding him, and says, what did I just get myself into, man? Ever find yourself doing that? You're in the storm, and you find, you know what, you do what the disciples do. You doubt him, you forget what he looks like, but then you come to your senses, because you're saved, you have a relationship with the shepherd, so you know his voice, right? So you work up a little bit of faith in, and then you jump out and say, I'm coming. Oh my goodness, why did I just do that? And then we start to sink, number two, just like Peter did. Number one, Peter was afraid. I'm sorry, I skipped one. His reactions are he was afraid. And then number two, he began to sink. What's the problem with that scenario, though? Track with me. I'm in a storm. I'm Peter. I'm in the boat. I'm scared. I doubt Christ. I forget his face. But then I remember him and I'm like, okay, I'm coming to you. I jump out. And then I look at the wind and I'm scared and I start to sink. What's wrong with that picture? Where am I looking? I'm looking at the storm. I'm looking at the circumstances. I'm looking at the wind and the 50 foot waves and I'm not looking at what? I'm not looking at Jesus. If I don't look at Jesus, I'm not gonna get to him. If I'm looking at the circumstances, I'm gonna start to sink. Christian, stop looking at the waves and start looking at the one who saves, right? Stop looking at the waves. They didn't call you out of the boat. Christ did. You're going to Christ, keep your eyes on him, and think about this. Where's Jesus right now? He's up there, right? In the ceiling. No, he's in heaven. And if I'm looking at him, I'm in the storm. I'm looking at him, and I'm walking. What am I not looking at? That's right, bud. I'm not looking at the waves. I'm not looking at the circumstances that are trying to drown me. I'm looking at him, and I'm following him in faith, because he's called me out to the waters, I love that song man, that song Oceans that we sing. He calls us out into the waters beyond our faith to see will you trust me like you've done in the past. And the storm's scary, but Peter he does, he doubts, he looks at the storm and he sees everything around him and he's scared and he begins to sink. And in a last ditch effort he cries out, Lord save me, Lord save me. Let's look at Jesus' response to Peter. Jesus responds to Peter's reactions in a way that should be super comforting to you. Matthew 14, verse 31. Peter begins to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. Verse 31. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Christ's response to Peter's reaction, he stretched forth his hand. He caught him, and he said, why'd you ever doubt? And that's exactly what he does for us. Notice the text says immediately, he doesn't cry out, Lord, save me, and then Jesus thinks about it. I don't know how far away that Jesus was from where Peter was sinking. Peter was walking to him, and he starts to sink. I don't know, say he was a room's length or a football field or two feet. Immediately, Jesus is there. Christian, it doesn't matter how far you've strayed from God's path. If you cry out, Lord, save me, he'll be there immediately stretching forth his hand and catching you and drawing you out of them waters. It doesn't matter how far you've strayed because Christ is big enough to step on the very waves that are drowning you today. And that should be encouraging. That should be so, so encouraging. The bottom line here is that Peter saw the storm, but he didn't remember the power of Christ, all right? And we're in that boat all the time. We see the storm when we're in the storm, and we don't remember the power that Christ has to still and to calm the storms. Even though we may have come through storms in the past and seen Christ's work firsthand, we still, we forget, don't we? We forget, and we start to sink. We have to make sure when we're walking in the storm, if we finally work up enough guts to jump out and to walk on the water towards him, we have to stay focused on him no matter the circumstances swirling around you i don't care if it's a typhoon you gotta stay focused on christ okay but listen even if we do begin to sink christ is right there waiting for us to cry out lord save me isn't he he's waiting for you to just give up and he'll be right there is anyone in here ever been a lifeguard raise your hand if you've ever been a lifeguard like in high school or okay so a few of us i i never was um But I've been told (laughs) that when they train lifeguards to go save someone who's drowning, they tell them you swim out to the person drowning. You let them know you're there. You call out to them. You can notice the parallels in the story here, okay? How Jesus is like a lifeguard. He calls out to them. You have to let them know you're there and that you're there to save them. The lifeguard is trained. You cannot try to save them. You cannot try to rescue them until they completely surrender. Why? Why? Because if they're flailing around, gasping for breath, if you try to grab them, they're going to pull you down too, right? You can't save someone who doesn't let you save them. Man, if, if you're saved, you can already see the parallels here, right? You cannot be saved against your own will. It's impossible. God won't do it. God didn't make Adam and Eve choose him in the beginning. He doesn't make you come to him. It's all up to you, man. It's all up to you. And listen, if you're in here, I keep saying Christian a lot, because today is mainly, <clears throat> it's geared toward my brothers and sisters in Christ. But listen, if you don't know what that means to have a relationship with God, and you're kind of like, what? I don't know what you're talking about, man. You sound like you have him in you. or You got an issue? No. Literally, if you are saved, you have Jesus Christ living inside of you because you have a relationship with him, and his spirit comes and indwells yours. And he lives with you. And listen, I, this story applies to Christians just as much as it does to somebody who would say, I'm not in church. I'm not a Christian person. I, I don't know you. Maybe, maybe you came in here for the first time today and you just walked in off the street because you're like, stink, I, I just haven't been to church in years. Maybe I should go to church. And you just pick this one. Maybe someone invited you and this is your first or second time coming here. Can I just say that it's not an accident? You aren't here by accident. God wants you to be here right now so that you can hear this message. Because listen, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, I guarantee I can tell you how you're feeling right now. You're going through life and you feel like you're drowning. You're, you're thrashing in the waves to keep your head above the water so that you can breathe and you don't drown. That's how you're feeling right now. And it may not be as bad as some days, But you go to work and you're reminded of that you have nothing to live for. All you have is this job that you go to every day and your family and then after that you've got nothing. You're toiling in the waves and you're trying to not drown. And Jesus says, listen, if you'll just stop thrashing and cry out, Lord, save me, immediately I will reach out and I will catch you and I will pull you out, man. I will pull you out of the miry clay. I'll set you up on the rock, and I'll make you my son. And you can know the joy that John had in 1 John chapter three when he says, behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed on us that we should be called the sons of God. We're separated from God because of our sin. We're all not perfect. The Bible says that there's none righteous. No, not one in Romans chapter three, right? We're all imperfect, and because of our sin, we're separated from God. And because of our separation, when we die someday, we can't go to be with God. We have to remain separated. And because our soul is an eternal soul, we will spend an eternity separated from God in a place that was never designed for you. And that's what happens. That's the realness of it. But God says in Romans chapter 10, if you'll just call out like Peter did, if you'll just call out, Lord, save me, he will immediately. You can bet your life on it. I have, many of the people in this room have, It says in Romans 10, man, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Just like Peter. If you'll just say, Lord, I'm done trying. I'm sick of drowning. I'm sick of treading. I can't tread water anymore. If you'll just give up, acknowledge the lifeguard is right there and say, please save me. He will. He will save you today. You can do it in this service. You can do it when we pray in a little bit. And man, if you've never heard that before, please come talk to me. Please come talk to someone on the worship team, someone who works here or goes here, the person who brought you. Find out how you can ask Christ to come into your life because he will pull you out of the waters today, even though you feel like you're gonna drown. All right, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent there. Um, Let's go back to our story. I just feel like that needed to be said though, right? I mean, you can't, man, if you can go through a Sunday sermon without giving the gospel, I don't know what you're teaching, man. Verse 32, Matthew 14. So we go through all that. He says, Lord, save me. Jesus stretches out his hand. He reaches out. He catches him and he pulls him out. And he says this in verse 32. When they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, of a truth, thou art the son of God. There's no more doubting at this point, right? They know. They're like, okay, this is is the guy. This is Jesus. Even the guys who weren't the disciples, the guys just working on the ship, That's the son of God. Verse 34. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Genesaret. I have verse 34 printed out on a piece of paper and hung above my doorway because it was probably the most encouraging verse to me when I was going through the storm. Even more encouraging than Jesus' response because what it's saying, when I was going through that storm, every time I walked out the door, what this verse was saying to me is after the disciples had gone through all this junk, they got to where they were going. They got there. Christian, you might have to go through the storm, but what verse 34 says is that when you get through all that, you'll be where God told you to go. He originally told you, hey, go over there. That He told them, go into the land of Genesaret. They end up around Capernaum. He says, go there. The storm stops them, right? It halts their forward momentum. But then eventually, after the experiences that they went through, they got to where Jesus told them to go. And that can be an encouragement to you today because even though you might be going through something that you're not sure how you can handle, someday you're gonna come through it and you're gonna be right where Jesus wants you to be. And that was the most encouraging thing for me. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation or trial taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able But will, with the temptation, also make a way to escape that you might be able to bear it? Listen, if you're going through something today or you've went through something that you're just to the point where you don't know if you can take it anymore, the Bible promises that you can. Because God won't let you go through anything that you can't get through with him. He won't. That's a promise. If you're saying, I don't know, man. I don't know if I can make it one more day. God forbid I'm even thinking about ending it all. Listen, God promises You can get through it. And he's with the temptation provided an escape. What's the escape? Any guesses? Jesus. Jesus is the escape. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God promises you won't go through any storm, any temptation that you can't bear and he will give you an escape and that escape is always his word and Jesus Christ. And you can get through it, man. And you'll be where God told you to go. So, where, so what's the deal with this story then? Why? Why do you let this happen? God allows the disciples to go through this huge storm and immediately after, a great spiritual mountaintop, right? Why does he let them do this? That's where we're gonna land the plane. God allows us to go through storms to draw us to him so that we need him. He wants us to come to him and he allows us to go through the storm so that we need him, so that we go to him and he'll use that storm in our life. One of my... I've grown up at this church and any of you who have been here for a a long amount of time remember a pastor who worked here a long time ago. Not not that long, but he's he's not with us anymore. He passed away. His name was Frank. And one of my favorite things that Frank ever said was, fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintops. Fruit grows in the valleys. Think about it. Mountaintops, mountaintop victories are where you want to be, right? You don't want to be in the valley in your spiritual walk. The valley's hard. But you know what, mountaintops are cold. Fruit doesn't grow up there. Fruit grows in the valleys. Fruit grows when you're going through stuff that you don't know if you can handle and then you get through it and you're where God wants you to be and you look back and say, wow, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, right? Fruit doesn't grow on the mountaintops. Check this out. This is how God's gonna use this storm in your life. If you're going through a storm right now, this is how God's gonna use it in your life. And if you've went through them before and never noticed this, this is how God wants to use that experience in your life. James chapter one and verse three. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Perfect doesn't mean without sin here. It just means complete. Lacking nothing. You'll be complete whenever your, your patience and your faith is tested You'll gain patience and you'll exhibit more patience when you get through it. That's what it says. So going through storms will make you patient. But if we take that lace in one hand and we take Romans 5 in the other, we can tie the bow on this thing. Check it out. Verse three. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. We've seen that, right, in James. Verse four. And patience experience and experience hope. It doesn't stop at patience. God doesn't just want you to learn how to be patient. He does, but he wants you to grow from that. He wants you to gain experience, and he wants you to gain hope, and you get that by going through storms and trials and persecutions in your walk with Christ. So what's that mean practically? It means this. So this time, let's say you're going through a storm right now, and this time you like me two years ago, you didn't recognize Jesus at first. You did what the disciples did. You you attributed him to just what was going around around you, and, and maybe you didn't even want to recognize him because you were so mad at what was happening to you. But then you wise up, you get some faith, you jump in, you go through it all, and you come out on the other side. Okay? Next time you go through the storm, you can look back on that experience that you just learned through patience. And it will give you hope. The next time that I go through a life, a potentially life-altering storm, I can look back and see, you know what? Jesus has already handled this stuff before, man. What? I don't need to be afraid. I can be of good cheer because I know he's there and he's coming to me and all I gotta do is walk over to him and say, hey man, will you hold the umbrella over my head while we walk through this thing? (laughs) You gain experience from your trials and you gain hope. So the next time you go through something, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to forget Jesus. You can remember what he's already done, right? And listen, if you're older and you've been through some of this stuff before and you're thinking, man, I'm, I haven't went through a crazy storm in a while. Can you remember your storm stories and help the younger ones who are going through that too? I think that's, that's the point of a multi-generational church, man. Older ladies, grab the younger ladies. Older men, grab the younger men and say, listen, I know what you're going through is hard right now, but trust me, Jesus will bring you through it. You just got to go to him, man. Use that to encourage the younger ones who don't know and they're flailing and they're thrashing and they're toiling and rowing. Use your experience to give them hope. We can do that. We can do that. Listen, it all comes down to this. Storms, they can be debilitating, right? They can be horribly astronomically large. They can make us immobile, they can make us stationary but just remember this, guys. If you don't take anything away from today, take this. Stop looking at the waves and look and focus your eyes on the one who saves. Don't look at your circumstances. There's a bigger picture you can't see inside the storm. And Jesus is working all things together for good to those that love him, right? He's gonna use this in you somehow down the road. Trust him. Don't look at the circumstances. Walk towards him. Focus on him. And he'll use this He's waiting for you to come to him and he's waiting for you to call on him today. Let's pray.